0: Welcome to episode number 18 of the Video Game History Hour, presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, or normally every episode, we'll be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. Something a little bit different this week, which I feel like I'm saying half the time now, but it's
1: the last three episodes, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's okay. You know what? This will be an interesting story, and he is an expert. My name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, and I'm here as always with Frank Zafali, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation.
1: Today, we're very pleased to have a special guest with us, uh, Brian Smolik, who is a an arcade game developer uh, who. We invited on the show because uh, hopefully you all saw, we just published a article uh, going into the history of a game called Power Up Baseball, uh, which was a never manufactured, at least uh, uh, more than 15 or so cabinets, uh, arcade game that was meant to be a baseball follow up to NBA Jam. Brian was one of the programmers on staff and one of the subjects of our oral history.
2: Uh, Brian, welcome to the Video Game History Hour hi thanks for having me thanks for inviting me and uh, I'm looking forward to this yeah um
1: so actually I don't think that that uh that we've really spoken since the article went out um so I don't know where should we start here I mean should we should we kind of start at the the genesis of where this game came from
2: um sure i first off let me say the article is great Thank uh, it you. brought back so many memories it was it was just really good. And I had so many people reaching out to me as well. Like, hey, did you know you were here? And like, you know, I had a lot of those linked all over. And then, well, immediately, probably, so. right? and then immediately after, somebody on my Facebook was like, I can't believe that isn't your profile picture, you know, from the little <laughs> Facebook card. So then I had to change it over and, you know. Oh, is that, your, is that
1: your picture there?
2: Yeah. Yep. Oh, it is. I'm looking <laughs> right at it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, I had a couple conflicting accounts, but really, uh, it, it, it seems like, uh, and this was before you started at, at uh, IT, so actually, maybe I should speak to this part, but um, the origins of this game seem to be that, you know, Midway had, of course, a monster hit on its hands with NBA Jam, sure. um, and was of course, pursuing other similar titles. They, they'd done an NHL title. They would eventually do an NFL title. Um, and the subject of baseball came up, and they essentially went to Incredible Technologies, uh, which was another Chicago... Well, I should say is another Chicago-based uh, developer. Golden Tee is, of course, our most famous game. Um, to get this project off the ground, uh, an agreement was made. Uh, one Jim Zielinski, who's a baseball nut, was uh, probably pretty happy about that, and uh, <laughs> they were off to the races.
2: Exactly. So, um, yeah, and that's that's a great way to say sort of how it started. Um, I came into the project probably one third of the way into the game. Um, I was I would had just started working with Incredible Technologies. I had I had come on as a tester for another game. And had gone back and forth for a while, and at the end of testing, they said, "Hey, you're you're pretty good at this, you know." And um, they said they had a new project that they had just started, you know, working on with Midway, and would I be interested? And it was like, "Yeah, you know, like <laughs> where, where do I <laughs> sign up, right?" So, like everybody else on the planet, I was a huge NBA Jam fan, and um, Tournament Edition eight probably you know i'd probably be rich if it wasn't for 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 tournament edition um well and you weren't just
1: a fan you were an active fan on the internet right
2: oh yeah so um i had was working on the tournament edition faq back in the day right so and this was you know pre pre lots of things uh back then we posted these up which was frequently asked questions and uh, they were on, like, you know, just forums or bulletin boards back then. And mine was for tournament edition. And what was cool was um, I had started a bunch of stuff and I'd gotten contacted by GamePro and EGM, and they all wanted to use that, you know, that FAQ. So it was cool. That was kind of like my in into the game industry, basically. Um, and and went from there. I, I don't i don't know how i don't want to need to get into my whole history i guess of how i got into it but
1: <laughs> well i think i think it's uh kind of remarkable that you know you're that level of a of a fan of Jam, oh. HM, <laughs> yeah. and your first huge. project is like hey you want to work on a sequel <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly right. You know, it was <laughs> mind blowing. It's like, yeah, where do I stop? You know, sign me up. What do I got to do? Um, I literally left a government, a cushy government job. Um, you know, I was I was 25 years old, and uh, my government boss was like, "What do you mean you're quitting? You you've been here for a couple of years. You you're set for life, basically." And I'm like, "I'm gonna work out a game," <laughs> and he's like. <laughs> what? You're crazy. Why would you ever do that? You know? And I just, I didn't even think twice about it. You know, now, you know, 20 something years later, I'm like, huh, maybe cushy government job would have been the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, there was, I, you know, I put in my two week notice instantly and was like, I'm going to go work on, you know, the next big thing. This is amazing.
0: And, and part of this too, is that you're in Chicago. So Were you kind of seeing a lot of these test games early and and getting the jump on the FAQs and getting the jump on the internet?
2: That was was the big thing, right? So um, before the uh, NBA Jam Tournament Edition FAQ, I did the Killer Instinct one. Um, And that was really my claim to fame. That that one blew up like crazy. And everybody, you know, Killer Instinct was so huge. Um, The combo system was crazy. And it was, you know, there was just hundreds and hundreds of moves to document on that thing so that faq was like more complicated than just about any of them out there um so did the killer instinct faq did worked on the nba jam tournament edition one and then from there that's when i was doing um i had found a new test game which was uh street Fighter of the movie and this is kind of before everybody knew how that game turned out, which we all know now not so hot. But but back then, you know, this was, this was the only one. There was one in existence. It was on test. It was, you know, 20 minutes from incredible technologies. And I just happened to be playing at that arcade and stumbled upon it. And I was like, well, I just finished the Killer Instinct one. I'm going to start writing this one. And started the street fighter faq was going through all the moves figuring out everything and i had a lot of complaints you know there was a lot of but that's early on this game was literally on test to see how it did and everything so i remember uh writing the faq stuff and getting an email one day from richard Ditton, who's the head of incredible technologies he's one of the owners and uh he said hey uh, how about instead of complaining about this game all the time, you come help us make it better? And I was They're like,
0: to shut you up. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Right. So I was like, yeah, sure, I could do that. So then um, every single night, I would uh, leave the cushy government job, you know, about 5 or 6 p.m., and I would drive to Incredible Technologies and get there about 7 p.m. And then I'd play till midnight or 1. In the morning there and i would just play street fighter street fighter street fighter constantly uh and richard would come in and bring us pizza or whatever and we would go hey honda's hand slap isn't working right and they'd go show me what's going on and we'd go back and forth and richard would be like i'll be back in like 15 minutes and then we just keep playing then 15 minutes later he'd come back with an update and go okay that's fixed let's see if this works for you you know so when, when they were done with uh, the Street Fighter game or mostly done with it as when they made me the offer, they're like, hey, your gameplay instincts are really good. We like, we really like hanging out with you and, you know, the way you work with the, the rest of the, the department and the crew, would you be interested in a programming job? And that's when, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I don't even think they made me an offer for money. I think I agreed before there was even, <laughs> like if, before there was even a price on the table. So,
1: I think the lesson here is that if you're a video game company, you should hire your internet trolls,
2: it, it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it. No, that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> but <laughs>
1: so yeah, you had programming experience, but I did a programming experience.
2: But not uh, but, in uh,
1: sixty-eight thousand assembly.
2: No, not in assembly. So that was definitely a rough, uh, rough thing for sure. Um, I you know I I had some experience, had taken some classes with it, but had not actually done anything besides the standard you know hello world stuff, right? So, um, it was all new to me. And uh, Richard Ditton and Chris Oberth kind of took me under their wings and said, "We're going to help you, you know, learn this. And here you go." And and it was just it was just awesome. I couldn't ask for you know better people to help me learn it and get going.
1: So as you said, uh, projects underway, um, yep. but pretty early at this point. So yeah, yeah,
2: I would say it's you know they were just starting to get some of the the, the um, kind of like the mode seven working with the the ground because it's all like a two D system back mm-hmm. then. You know we we were this is what Golden Tee was basically built on. So. Um, you know, all the 3D wall stuff was all kind of faked and the ground was all sort of these weird giant textures and um, yeah, but they had very beginning stages of getting all that going. And what was your role uh, on the team? So my main role was programmer um, uh, brought me in and I was like, you know, there, Chris Oberth was the systems guy. Um, I think Richard Ditton was kind of leading the overall gameplay stuff. And then I was like the, Hey, everything else goes to you. <laughs> you know, that we, that we don't have time to do. Um, and that usually just, means
1: UI. Oh uh, yeah. That usually means UI.
2: <laughs> um, but you know, in the arcade world, there's not a lot of UI. I, and I had done, you know, the, the UI for this of like, okay, here's the balls and strikes. Right. Right. Um, but mine, i it was a lot of the other stuff. It was like, OK, uh, you got to get this guy to walk in. And I had done a ton of the trackball feel um, to try and get it to feel just right of the, you know, how fast has it got to spin to swing? How fast, you know, how fast does your guy come in? How fast does he pitch? That sort of stuff. It was, you know, that and a ton of late nights with John Newcomer, <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who is, you know, obviously the brains behind the. The, a lot of it um you know yeah so
1: let me history. just sort of introduce newcomer here i think it's a sure. good segue to that so um john newcomer uh was working at midway and and he had had a long career uh at that point uh as as long as one could really at that point <laughs> yeah. um and you know probably most famously was the designer of of joust and um you know he he of course touched most of the midway games in that era i think most people there did uh works on nba jam a little bit etc and uh he was essentially the one in charge from the midway side um, of uh designing the baseball game and working with incredible technologies to see it through
2: right yep um so and i believe how it and, and I don't know. This might be, this is where some of your stuff is different, depending on who you talk to. Um, but I Ooh, think
1: juicy. Okay, okay, let's go. <laughs> I, think,
2: I think this is just you know how I think it started. And again, I was I was you know programmer who came in late to the party. Um, but I think how it had gone down is you know they were still do working on Blitz or, or Blitz had been done, but they're out working on like the next next version of Blitz at the time probably, um, and there just wasn't enough teams at Midway. You know, you're either working on Mortal Kombat or, you know, Blitz or whatever. Um, and I don't think they had another sports team, which is why it probably ended up at with Incredible Technologies, is they know we could do it, you know, and John's like, hey, you know, um, there's no team for me here. You know, what the heck? So I think that's probably how we got the permission to pull that off. I, I don't know for sure. I don't know if that's the actual thing, but that was kind of how I thought it probably went down is, you know, so
1: um, that's that's your recollection. Uh, that's, that's that's right. Alan Noon's recollection. <laughs> um, that is uh, okay, but uh, I think it was newcomer's recollection was. Oh, and I should say, uh, pro- uh, after this article came out, we did speak to Jim Zelensky, who was the designer on the IT side. Also, okay. his recollection matches yours. Uh, okay, newcomer's recollection was, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> that, uh, was that IT came to Midway looking to work together. So, you know, as historians, you just kind of have to look past those disagreements or, sure. or spell them out. But
0: well, either way, be, it the, be the be two people It could be conflating two separate things. Like they had, sure. you know, they're, they're two Chicago-based companies, right? So you could totally have a situation where it's, you're having beers and you're like, Hey, we should work together. And then right. the story continues as everyone else remembers it, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing when you're interviewing. I feel like the more people you interview, sometimes the murkier it becomes. If you could right. just leave one person's story and be done with it, then our jobs would be a lot easier.
2: Right. And I, I guess there is a possibility of that. Cause I'm not sure the story of how they also ended up with street fighter on their plate. Right. I mean, I was- How did Capcom (laughs) not make Street Fighter right now, right? So, you know, it's very possible that they went, hey, we just made this Street Fighter game. We can make a game for you guys, right?
1: Yeah, Capcom hiring an American developer to make a Street Fighter seems pretty odd now, though I will say that at least in the 90s, I think it was mostly the U.S. division that was handling the IP. So, you know, it's not completely out of left field to use (laughs) a baseball uh, Ah. reference. Do you like that?
2: No. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, man, I got to look up some baseball puns quick. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: something that you told me in our interview for the story, and, and you mentioned this briefly, was that a lot of your role uh, was essentially interfacing on site with Newcomer and, and tweaking the game with them, right?
2: Yeah. So, um, and I think some of this was probably because I was the new guy. Some of this was probably because... Um, you know, I was doing a lot of the tweaking and things after, after Richard had gotten a lot of the, the stuff going, or Chris had gotten, you know, a lot of the system stuff going, uh, they were, they had other things they were doing. Richard's running a company, you know? So, um, it was, you know, I would get a, you know, someone would stop by my office and it'd be like five o'clock in the evening or something. And they'd be like, Hey, Brian, um, John's on his way in. He'll be here about seven. Um, if you could. Uh, help him out tonight that would be great thanks you know and it was like it was like you know like hey I'm gonna have to ask you to work the weekend you know sort of <laughs> but it was you know it was that sort of scenario where they're like and then everybody else would just leave and newcomer would come in around seven o'clock and he'd have two giant slurpees which was like a good way to get me kind of going and now thinking back it was probably enough sugar then to keep me up for the most of the night, you know, you showed up 7 p.m. with this, you know, gallon of Slurpee. Um, oh, so, good,
1: good game producer trick right there. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely right. <laughs> oh man, if I could tell you some EA stories, uh, I'm
0: <laughs> so hire um, someone young who's a fan and feed them Slurpees. That's that's what we've learned.
2: Absolutely <laughs> right. So he would come in with these Slurpees, and we'd be going, and he would, we'd always play one game first. So that would be it. He'd come in and we'd play because he'd usually come in maybe once or twice a week. And but the other times, you know, we're just working on the game. So he'd come in and play just to see where the progress was, what we've got going. Um, Sometimes I'd be involved and like we'd play some two player or sometimes he'd play single player. And basically You know, uh, I'd have, you know, your standard work desk and uh, PC, and um, we have this giant arcade cabinet in my office, um, and, you know, it was just squished in here, and um, John um, would be in there with another chair and just banging on the trackball and playing, and be like, I don't like the way this, this is too fast, you got to slow this down, and I'd go in and kind of slow it down and recompile it and send it back over and we would tweak some more and play and we would just go back and forth all night long till probably you know maybe one o'clock in the morning one or two o'clock and then you know it's getting to the point where neither of us are good for anything right so like we're getting kind of tired and it's kind of hard to program at 2 (laughs) a.m um you have been there all day and so then we would go all right this is this is a good spot to leave it and then the real work would start, because I'd have to take all the code and all the compiled stuff, and we'd go over to um, uh, just like the workshop at IT, where we would burn all the ROMs. So then I'd have to stay there and burn all these ROMs, which took forever back then. Um, I don't know if they've actually sped that up now, but that process, I remember it being pretty painful. And... Uh, You'd burn all these ROMs, and then I'd have to put them all back in a motherboard. We'd put the motherboard back in the cabinet and test it out and see if it worked. And sometimes that, that ROM burning doesn't go so well. and mm-hmm. you know, you'd get a bad one or two or who knows what. We'd have to go back in, erase all the ROMs, which was done with, like, you know... uh ultraviolet oh, exactly. light right right ultraviolet lights so we'd set them under this thing and John and I would just sit there and talk for a half hour while we waited for the roms to, to
1: <laughs> baking them you know, in your easy bake <laughs> oven yeah
2: exactly <laughs> right and then and then we'd you know I'd do the whole process over again and w- hey we'd play around it wasn't crashing you know that was the other thing so when we were Uh, building and playing and building and playing, we were playing on like, it's not an emulator, it's like a ROM emulator that's connected to the actual motherboard. But that didn't always mean that it worked when you burnt the ROMs either. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we'd have to make sure it wouldn't crash or whatever. And like, it would literally, we'd be there till 6 a.m. I'd finally hand John either the motherboard with the ROMs on it or tubes of ROMs. Because I think we had to burn like two or three sets every time. I'd get that to him and he'd leave and he'd go from there right back to Midway, I think, usually. And he would then set it up in their cafeteria or their test game, wherever it was, you know, and then I would pretty much just pass out. (laughs) And then, you know, people would start filing into the office at seven or eight. And, you know, they'd find me there on my desk or on a couch or on the floor, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go home for two hours and take a shower and I will be back and and start it all over again. So
1: (laughs) game development life, baby.
2: Exactly. And this was, you know, there's, there's, I wouldn't have changed anything for the world. Right. I mean, you know, people always say, oh, testing sucks or whatever. And it does like if you're a tester, but like, Man, this was this was everything I've ever wanted. Being a huge Midway fan, you know, doing the Killer Instinct stuff, doing the NBA Jam stuff. I this is I this is literally my dream, you know, wouldn't change any of it for the world. This is what I wanted it to be. I wanted to be up till six AM working on the next big hit, you know.
0: So <laughs> did you feel pressure of like working with Midway is your first, I mean, this is, you know, your first
2: oh, insane real development job right? and it's
0: with the people that you're, I, you know, you love their games, right? That sounds so, scary. Right, exactly. So it was the first time, and this is,
2: you know, I, of course, I've, I've been an arcade fan forever. Um, my dad was an operator back in the 80s. So I was that kid that had a Pac-Man game in their garage In the 80s so the rest of the neighborhood was over you know and then i had a donkey kong or whatever so like i grew up in the arcade industry um you know and had had all this stuff and and just loved everything about it but then you know um i didn't know really who was a programmer or who designed what back then right so when the first time i get introduced to john newcomer um I was like, hey, I know you. You're that guy from NBA Jam. <laughs> right? Because, like... Yeah, did, did you read the, him his in initials and edition, date? I knew his initials and his birthday. That's exactly <laughs> right. So I could play as John. So I was like, oh, my God, you're totally famous. You're that and I'm like, then you look him up and you're like, oh, he's actually really, really famous. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's not just the the guy that you, you know, from NBA Jam. So... Yeah. And then once I realized that, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's not just making a game for Midway. It's working with John Newcomer, you know. um, He brought. It's pleasing
1: the Joust man.
2: Exactly. He literally, I have to this day, he gave me a Joust 2 control panel. Um, I'm not sure why or how. I just know I own it and it showed (laughs) up from him. (laughs) And he also gave me a Joust 1. Empty cabinet at some point. I believe that was from him. That that one's a little fuzzy, but I know the control, the Joust 2 control panel came from him. And like he would just show up, and I think this was one of those where like, you know, uh, the, maybe you know the seventh or eighth time we did this, the Slurpees were wearing off. You know and I was like? <laughs> oh, it's gone great slurpee Dig, digging
1: through the garage to please the
0: fanboy <laughs> right. so yeah. that's exactly
2: what it was he's like this will make him happy for a day you know and he would just bring you me little think to
0: autograph the slurpee first but... <laughs> right?
2: so that was it
1: so um i think uh we should actually describe the game at this point because yeah, uh, yeah. because right? <laughs> I, I know we know from talking just now that uh two-player game you against john uh i believe we've talked about how it's trackball based
2: but i mean what is this game how does it play so basically you know the idea was it's the next like you said it's the next nba jam it's the next nfl blitz this is you know mlb power baseball this is the next big extreme sports over the top you know crazy action game and it was played with uh, two joysticks. I believe there were five buttons. You had one button for each base uh, and a power-up button. And it, it was just an insane pitching dual battle sort of thing. Um, you had this big pitcher on the screen. You had a huge batter on the screen. He, I remember he took up a, a lot of the space. And you know the idea was, and because it was trackball, it was all right. the faster I'm going to swing this ball down the faster the other player has to push up you know and just spin it to swing the bat and i just remember it was it was so insane <laughs> you know you had two people playing next to each other i don't know if you've ever watched like professional people play golden tee golf they basically take like a running start at that thing you know and put their <laughs> fist through the through the monitor we've had multiple calls of broken monitors you know on golden tea or like the- wow. or whatever right because people are just being crazy um or breaking their hand is usually what goes first is somebody busts a finger um so now to play this game you're spinning as fast as you can to to run between bases and to running feel the ball and you know the other guy is spinning it just as fast you were drenched in sweat by the end of this game
1: actually you know i i can back you up on that because uh collector uh chance palmer who who has uh the cabinet that we installed the game into um he just got it today i think uh he told me today he was covered in sweat after playing <laughs> <a game. laughs> this yeah. is not hyperbole folks we we can no. corroborate this
2: no this game was a serious workout um And that was, you know, and that was it. It was was basically meant to be an intense inning after inning, pitching and batting and running around the field and throwing the ball from base to base. Um, You know, it it was pretty crazy. So, man, good times.
0: And it was kind of following the same like extreme. I mean, obviously the uh, physical, it was physically extreme in (laughs) with the trackball, but it was kind of also trying to follow this extreme uh, kind of like fanciful version of baseball that uh, NBA Jam had kind of set the bar for, right? So you've got like some strange power ups and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, you had just crazy, you know, you could do like a beam ball pitch. It just nail the guy in the head if you wanted to. <laughs> and you know, no strategic reason for that. Right. And he just like <laughs> falls out like you knocked him out. He's done. Right. Um but yeah there was all sorts of you know we didn't have the crazy um you know I can slam and break the backboard sort of thing. So we had to come up with all these other things for pitching. You know, there was like the tornado pitch where the guy just he's just a blur and this ball just comes out of nowhere. Um You know, and you could do like this slow underhand pitch and trying to throw everybody off with the speed Um, on the batter side. You know, we had crazy things like a lightsaber, you know, you'd be holding in your hand um, and then or like you'd grab the ball literally, you know, over the base, toss it back up and hit it, Um, you know, which I don't think is really allowed. (laughs) It, you know what? If you out. can
0: catch it with your bare hands, I think you deserve it. At that point. Uh, right? Exactly. They, they should just let you do that if you're willing to break your hand. Yeah, if
2: you're willing to stick that hand out there, <laughs> you, know, you you can throw it up and hit it. Um, you know, and there's like the caveman swing and stuff where he just overhead, you know, tomahawked it sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. that one's
1: that one's kind of fun because that one is. Only used as a response to the bean ball, <laughs> so like <laughs> it's a defensive move to not get hit in the head is to transform into a caveman and whack it overhead.
2: Right, and and the odds of you knowing that that guy was going to throw the bean ball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you could be ready to to counter it, you know, was crazy.
1: The only uh, thing I can think of to make that strategy happen is that every move does take a certain amount of power. So if you got really good at the game, you could probably keep an eye on how much power was used by the pitcher and then make an educated guess. But other than that, there's no way to know that.
2: Right. I remember I remember early on uh, because we were the Golden Tea Company. Right. Um, the way you were to do pitching uh, was kind of complicated. Like you had to pull back to you know for the pitcher to sort of wind up and then roll it forward to to throw the ball actually it was reverse that so the person batting and the person pitching were rolling the balls in opposite directions i believe and um when it was the more complicated sort of golden tee version you could kind of keep an eyeball on where you know uh where your opponent was rolling that track ball so if he was coming like back left and then he was gonna you know moved his hand to kind of go forward right you knew what was coming or you knew the height you know um and that was one of those i think that got taken out pretty early on if i remember correctly or at least dumbed way down um because it was just over complicated uh i remember uh right putting things out on test so we've all been playing this game forever, and when it went out on test we'd sit there and watch people play and all of a sudden they weren't you know and it's a new game but these people weren't nearly as good as we were and it didn't seem like they were quite picking it up you had a lot more strikes and you had a lot more you know misses and stuff and it was like oh yeah we've been playing this for like six or eight months and we've become pros at it and any normal person can't just couldn't do it, you know. They were just mis- you, you could you could actually throw the ball high, medium, or low, and if you didn't pick high, medium, or low, you missed. You know, if you didn't pick the right thing. Um, and I think towards the end, as long as you, if you always picked middle, you you'd either pop it up or ground it, or if it threw in the middle, then you know you'd nail the thing out of the park. But it, before, I think it was if they threw high and you aimed the middle, you missed. So, yeah.
0: So it's too much like actual baseball. In the right. Movie. Exactly. <laughs>
1: That's
2: exactly it.
1: Um, so, something that I found interesting talking to uh, Jim Zelensky uh, this morning, actually, um, the trackball situation, you know, he, and this isn't really so much in the article, but he really thinks that the, damage being done to the track balls was maybe a larger factor in the game's cancellation than uh, than maybe people give it credit for. Um, he was describing to me that the track balls would stop, would break like in a day, <laughs> you know? And, you know, he's saying like, you know, golden tea. Yeah. The track balls are going to break. Track balls don't last forever, but it's going to be in maybe two weeks. Baseball was happening in like a day and it was, You know, I was asking him, is it just like the frequency of how often you have to roll the ball? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Because you are, as you said, Brian, you're just constantly rolling that thing like as fast as you can, working up a sweat, just destroying this machine.
2: Right. That's that's actually really interesting that he mentions that because I actually remember that as well. Um, I remember them coming to us and saying, look, it didn't last through the weekend. You yeah. know, it, it went, to, you, you guys put the new ROMs in on Friday and Saturday night, it's got an out of order sign because the trackball doesn't
1: work, you know, <laughs> um,
2: I, but I absolutely remember that happening. And I thought that was kind of a bigger factor too, but someone else I had talked to said they didn't think as much of it. That was the case. But I, if Jim mentions it, I, I believe that was true because, uh, because I remember saying, hearing that as well. It was just, they take such a beating and it's not just rolling. Right. When we were playing this game, you were kind of slamming your fist down into that trackball, <laughs> you know. So it wasn't just like, you know, you weren't like the the little flywheel, you know, wasn't what was dying. It was you were busting that piece of plastic that's holding the you know, the ball in place. Right? <laughs> um, these things were just getting destroyed. Uh, and I actually remember right around this time, Golden or Incredible Technologies, was looking into designing their own. I think, and I don't know for sure. I want to say we were using some trackball, you know, up until this point. And this was right around the time where IT decided they were going to either, and I don't remember if it was them and Hap Controls or what the whole deal was, but I remember them designing a new trackball or helping design in some way, like saying, look, this doesn't work for us. We need to solve this. Yeah,
1: Um, If we're going to continue shipping these Golden Tee games, we need to not be and and they're a hit by the way so there's a lot of right. these track balls you
2: know? yeah exactly right but <laughs> but i absolutely remember you know hearing about them just being destroyed out there because people were just so intense on this game
0: so what are can you speak a little bit more about some of the other issues that there were with power at baseball because obviously i mean that sounds like a very big part of it but <laughs> the game itself had more issues than just trackball sure. competing right yep.
2: I, I think one of the biggest problems that nobody saw coming which was which was weird you know because we had you know there a lot of work and a lot of design and a lot of time you know goes into into a game like this that being said there's a lot of you know sitting around at 2 a.m going hey wouldn't it be cool if we did this and you're like yeah let's <laughs> let's throw that in there um but i think something nobody realized even while we were playing and right till it went out on test um was the length of time it took to play um in the back of your head you always thought oh it's nine innings you know there's four quarters in baseball there's you know three in hockey there's four in football nine innings not a, not a big deal um the problem with all those the the other three all have a timer on them they all start and stop and that's it in baseball you could be batting forever as long as someone was pitching you, you know, easy hits. Um and you would have, you know, we'd have games easily in the 15 minute range or more. Um you know, we'd be three or four innings in and if you had two really good players, you know, it's like 8 to 7 or something, there or higher. You've got all these crazy amounts of runs and the game just took way too long. There was no, there was no stopping it. You know, in your head, you, you, nobody thought about, yeah, it's three outs and you're done. But nobody thought it takes forever to possibly get to those three outs once in a while. Um, and and that was, I think, the biggest one was, yeah, you know, I think that really killed it was the the time.
1: Yeah, I imagine a lot of people hearing this are like, well, just cap it at five runs or you know or put a timer on each inning but right i mean we, surely we you that? tried all of that stuff
2: yeah. yeah we tried a lot of things i remember we tried um we even went down to like a three inning game right um but then it, it became well how much do you charge for a three inning game how much do you charge for nine you know nba jam and nfl blitz it was two bucks it was you know whatever it was uh 50 cents uh a quarter or whatever um and ours, it was like, well, we, I guess we want to be a $2 game. They're all $2 games. How how do you split that up across nine innings? You know, nine doesn't really go into $2.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I remember we went to like three three innings to try and speed things up. But nobody wants to play three innings of baseball, really. You know, it was almost too short at that point. You know, and we were going to try. I remember if we were going to try and just charge a dollar for that. But then a full game was $3. So now you're in trouble because you're a dollar more than the other three major hits that are out yeah. there. Um, and then I remember we even put it down to like a quarter play you, you could, or a quarter an inning, you could just play, you know, one quarter an inning and just go or, or 50 cents an inning, but who, nobody is walking up to a game like this and playing one inning, especially if you were playing by yourself, you know, you're just going to go up there and bet three times and pitch three times and you're done you know that's or whatever that's not fun at all so i think that was a that was a serious hook which came out of left field hey i got my pun in (laughs) um (laughs) but you know i I don't think anybody really saw it until it went out on test and we went oh that's that's not gonna work (laughs) you know
0: so were you guys actually seeing like 15 minute games and just sitting there going oh my god oh wow
2: (laughs) yeah Especially, and when it really came, was between people that weren't good at the game. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, because the people that weren't good, they didn't know how to throw the crazy pitches, or pitch high, or pitch low, or whatever. They literally just pitched a straight ball down the middle, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and the person batting just batted straight down the middle, <laughs> right? So it was just, you know, that guy's throwing the perfect pitch right to you, and you're just going to hit it out of the park or, you know, hit it into the field every single time. Right, it was because like,
1: oh, the d- default no buttons roll versus roll yeah, is a perfect right? pitch down the center and then a perfect
2: hit down the center. <laughs> exactly. That's <is> exactly <laughs> what it was. And we just made, you know, the game now takes twice as long or if you're a complete newbie at it. Which is the exact opposite of how games are supposed to work. <laughs> you know? It's not supposed to be the longer you play, the newer you are. So.
1: <laughs> and you also mentioned something to me about how, you know, IT was kind of thinking of this as a bar game as well. And that kind of provided its
2: own set of issues. Uh, right. You know, so you also had, you know, uh, um, people just weren't, You know, it wasn't Golden Tee was the perfect bar game. Again, if if you know, if I can hold a beer in one hand and play in the other, that's a moneymaker. And that's what I.T. thought was a moneymaker. Right. That that is the formula that has worked for them on multiple games. Suddenly, this isn't that you you're not holding a beer and playing this game. You're working up a sweat. You're going crazy on the thing. Um, And it just it just really wasn't that. I can sit and relax bar game. You also had the problem of people were going crazy. So if it was doing well at a bar, you had two intensely crazy people playing and yelling and screaming while everyone else is trying to either watch the game or watch a fight or, you know, whatever it is. And it was, it was just too much for bars that normally had someone in the corner playing golden tea going, I'm going to putt now. Bing, ding, ding. You know, it's, it's <laughs> the exact opposite of that. <laughs>
0: So with all of that said, I mean, do you think Power Up Baseball was a good game?
2: I do. Um, I think there's a lot of mixed feelings about it. Was it the next NBA Jam? No, probably not. Um, but I I had tons of great plays. I've got tons of great memories of playing that game. Um, when when I got a chance to kind of play the emulated one here, I was just like, oh man, this is you know this is so good. I remember you know I remember doing this and I remember doing that. Uh, the game was really good. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to getting a chance to play it on an actual cabinet now, thanks to you guys, um, you know, and all the work that you've done to kind of bring this thing back to life. Uh, I, chance has you know one of the cabinets that was discovered i've got another one um like i said there was i think there were 15 cabinets made three of them went to incredible technologies um one of them is it been in my garage for the last 20 plus years um it was given to me when i left it was painted over black uh and there was no board in it um so i literally just had a game (laughs) sitting there uh with nothing, and it was one of those were like, "Ah, oh, one of these days I'll make a project for it, or one of these days I'll do something with it, and just never did and now that you know all this stuff has been discovered and we've got the ROMs, I'm a hundred percent looking forward to to you know getting aboard firing that game up and and just enjoying the heck out of it i
1: I love uh you were telling me about that cabinet because as you said it was it was just painted over black, but right in a weird way that that preserved
2: it. It, oh, it, it absolutely did. So when I took it over, um, there was another guy that we, everybody had started working with. Uh, his name is Jeff and he had, was doing, um, he was helping Chance or he had Chance's game. He, something weird happened. I, I'm not sure the whole exact story of that. And somehow, I guess through you, they got a hold of me and said, Hey, do you, do you know anything about this game or how it works? And I was like, actually, I've got one in my garage, you know? <laughs> so um, it was funny because they didn't have a control panel for it. They just had the uh, uh, the cabinet. Yeah, and he
1: actually, um, his cabinet was, it was probably one of IT's because when he got it, it was running, uh, I think, Golden T2.
2: Okay, yeah, that yeah. would make sense. And I think, I, and I'm totally gonna be wrong on this. I think his serial number was uh, seven or something like that. And mine is eight or nine um that's in the garage and uh my, like i said mine had been painted over black i took the control panel off um because the control panel on mine still had the grass texture and they didn't have any of that now it had all the button layouts and what you know what the art looked like on that so i said i'll bring my my control panel over and you guys can scan um the grass texture or whatever you need and see how the buttons are laid out and everything and when i was talking to jeff I said, yeah, you know, it, it. the cabin is under this black, but I have no idea. You know, I, I, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to screw it up and try and get that black off because I'm afraid. I know the art is under here, but I'm afraid to do it. And he goes, well, how much do you trust me? And I'm like, well, <laughs> nothing. I just met you, you know. <laughs> um, so but he's like, look, give me give me some time. Leave your control panel here and let me see what I can do. And I was like, yeah, that that's fine. Sure. You know an hour later he sends me a text with a picture of the control panel and it's beautiful. It is, it is in pristine, perfect shape. Um, That black, however they painted on it, kept it in mint condition. It isn't faded. It isn't anything. It's just perfect side art the day from the day it was printed, you know, way back then. So, so two
1: lessons here, Um, (laughs) hire your internet trolls And cover your collectibles with black paint.
2: (laughs) Oh man, this is not good advice for (laughs) anyone. But yeah, that was it. It it totally preserved it. You know, that cabinet is in absolute mint shape. So
1: yeah, and um, you know, I I guess we should kind of jump in here because, in a way, we're a part of the story too. Because as you said, yeah, uh,
2: I said it's you guys that made this thing come back to life.
1: Yeah, and the reason that that came about um, was because early in 2020, uh, we were contacted by someone. Actually, he reached out to uh, Steve Lin, one of our board members. Someone recommended he reach out to Steve because he was selling video game collectibles uh, for the Oberth family. Uh, And Chris Oberth, who was... Uh, one of your coworkers, Brian, uh, shared an office with him, I believe. Yep. For um, about two
2: years, it was him and me back to back.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they were basically, like Chris had passed away in, I believe, 2013 and, and they were selling his games that he just kept in his basement all this time. And um, sort of the deeper they got into Chris's stuff, uh, you know, like past all the box retail games and all that, they started finding his development work and, uh, Chris was a game developer going back, uh, to the late seventies. Um, you know, he had, he, 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 he made Apple II games, uh, on an Apple II with like serial number 200 or something <laughs> like, that. like, uh, and you know, he, he had a long career he worked on a couple of Coleco games. He worked on, um, American gladiators for the NES, uh, and, you know, eventually wound up at that incredible technologies, uh, and in digging through his stuff, and and sort of, I, we were helping them, essentially sort out uh, what was sellable, uh, because of course we wanted the family to, you know, be able to uh, generate some some income from from the stuff he left for them, essentially. But uh, some of the other stuff, you know, we we talked to them and like, hey, this stuff he probably shouldn't sell. So, you know, for example, you know, a, a disc that, like, a floppy disc that. You know, had maybe the source code for one of his games. It's like, well, that seems safe, but um, this hard drive that had every file on his computer—you probably shouldn't sell that because there might be some <laughs> compromising information on there. Um, sure. And so, one of the things that they had was a a CDR that just said baseball on it in sharpie, <laughs> and you you can actually see it on our article. Um, and you know, I I, I kind of helped them look at it and did uh did a little bit of googling and there wasn't much out there yet uh searching for you know Midway incredible cuz i i looked at a source code and it was like baseball game for midway you know was like the title <laughs> of the and i was like i don't know a midway baseball game so i i looked and it's like oh my god the power up baseball um and so we uh we worked out uh an arrangement with the family uh we actually ended up uh paying for the cd to make sure that you know that they, they got something out of it and they you know wanted to sell it to us to sort of make sure that it was preserved uh and that that people could enjoy it so you know we, we came to that mutually beneficial arrangement and uh spent a good deal of last year on and off uh figuring out uh how it worked getting it emulated but also getting chris's source code um well actually all your source code we, we have the full repo getting the source code for the game buildable again um and uh well finding that finding that compiler was was quite a story that <laughs> i won't get into because uh, i can imagine I, uh, but um i believe i found it in a source code repository for a thermometer wow i, <laughs> I think that's where i found the only copy of this compiler on the entire internet was Holy in cow. the source code for a digital thermometer um, so <laughs> uh the game is now buildable we put it on github if you're a coder out there you know exactly what that is um and uh you know you can go in there and learn assembly you can try to fix up the game even um but yeah the game is now buildable it's playable in Mame. uh one of the one of the developers in in Mame, uh the mog miner um put in you know a lot of, lot of extra time over the last week to to actually fix some bugs and things like that and uh the game is uh, preserved and playable. So um, you don't have it in your cabinet yet because <laughs> you don't have a board yet, right? Nope, nope, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll help you out with that. But um, no, I,
2: pre- I appreciate it. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting the dust off. I'm trying to make some space in my arcade now to, <laughs> to set it up.
1: Well, that's a big boy too, right? It's got the NBA the Jam uh, panel, so it's big enough yeah. for four.
2: And Midway was notorious for like, those are the heaviest cabinets in the industry. It's it's the worst. I'm down in my basement. I tell you.
1: You know, what else is cool is that you mentioned, um, Jeff West earlier, and not only did he scan your control panel, he he scanned the side art for the whole cabinet from, from chances. Um, so, uh, theoretically one could, uh, make their own power up baseball cabinet if one wanted to. Yep, exactly. Um, And, uh, I kind of want to over here. We don't have space in the office, but it's like, it's such a point of pride.
0: (laughs) Right. I want to get one to like a, like a Chicago baseball team or something. Like I just feel like someone should be having this and celebrating it. Yeah.
1: We talked early on about like, you know, we should talk to the Sox and see if we get one in the clubhouse.
2: (laughs) All right. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, did you guys move yet? I remember hearing you guys were moving at some point.
1: No, Uh, covid uh,
2: right, so, so wherever you move it, it just needs to have an arcade <laughs> uh,
1: you know it actually does um so i don't i don't know if i can so we're we uh we share a space with um digital eclipse which is the game developer that uh, oh. i used to work at um and uh you know when when i sort of left to do this it wasn't I wasn't really leaving it was more just i'm gonna take that office <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and i'm gonna do my own thing um and yeah, I still share a space with them. Uh, and there is an arcade and I don't know if I can get, if I can get Norm Badio to move his Tubin machine home.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one wants want to buy Tubin. Come on. Right, at least for a while, right? Yeah. Let's, 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 enjoy your tubing for a little while. Let's get some crazy midway action in here. We got marble madness there. Be nice next to it. The, All right. The Perfect.
1: trackball area. You can see which one lasts longer. <laughs> um great you know brian uh thank you so much for joining us on the video game history hour Uh, where can uh people
2: find you on the internet
1: and the projects Um, that you do
2: right so i guess right now you can find me um usually at teamplayinc.com that's teamplayinc.com where i'm still making arcade games today i make games that go into like david and busters and Chuck E. cheese and you know i'm still making there's still some arcades out there you know i've got games in round one so um i have i am just addicted to the the arcade industry i can't get out so <laughs> um you can also find me um if you want to just know more about me i i did a half hour special um for collector's call they did a big thing on my giant pac-man collection so i got to spend some time with uh lisa wetchell who's blair from facts of life she hung out for a day um we filmed that and it's anything and everything pac-man crazy collection um
1: pause there you know, tell us about the collection
2: oh boy <laughs> so it's it's ridiculously huge um there's like hundreds and hundreds of items um so some of the bigger claims to fame are Um, Miss Pac-Man roller skates, which if you Google image, search that I've got the only pair known to exist or ever even had a picture of taken. Um, I've also got a flat version of the famous Pac-Man lunchbox that every kid owned. I've got, um, like the test version before it was stamped with like artist notes on it that say this color is off by a little bit, you know? Um, and that's framed. That was actually traded on the show. Um, What'd you the trade? other big claim to fame is, you know, I guess still sticking with the Midway theme, I have got one half of the sign or, or the front half or the back half. It was two sided of the the giant six foot sign that was outside of Midway that says Williams belly Midway. We make the games that make the industry. You know that that sign is in my my collection and was featured on the Pac-Man show as well.
1: So when Hollywood does the dra- the dramatization of Midway, uh, you could find, you could charge them a really good fee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Right. Yep. You guys can borrow this. It's, you know, a thousand dollars an hour. Go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then um, you have another hobby, uh, RC oh. cars, right?
2: Yeah. So I'm also the owner of Big Squid RC. Um, you can check it out, bigsquidrc.com. It's like the largest RC news site in the world, basically. If you're if you're looking up to to get a new hobby, you know if if video games aren't enough for you and you want to drive, you know, really fast, crazy cars around, BigSquidRC.com is the other place you can find me. So,
1: cool. Anything else uh, anyone wants to bring up about Power Up Baseball before we wrap it up today?
2: All right. I, I, I was just gonna <laughs> say I can't thank you guys enough for for bringing this back this is one of those things that like you know like i I walk past the cabinet in my garage all the time I'm so happy for you guys I'm you know I'm ecstatic I love everything you guys do um
0: you know well, and I'm, I, I'm happy
1: I, to reunite you with your first game
2: man yeah, we're oh, just so right? happy so exactly. people
0: see their games again
2: oh yeah this is it's so huge it's it's such a big deal so i i you know, I can't thank you guys enough. Um, you know, let me just plug you guys. If, if you haven't, go donate. They have a donate button. Go <laughs> click their button. Go help them out. Do, you know, whatever you can. The, these guys are these guys are like heroes to me now for making this happen. So.
1: <laughs> that CD costs quite a bit of money. I'm not going to disclose how much. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, help our war chest for the next time a legendary lost game comes up. Uh,
2: Absolutely. Brian, Sorry. thank
1: you again so much for being here and for the kind words.
2: Thank you guys very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour, brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter, at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at GameHistory.org. Did you know the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit, and that all of your contributions are tax-deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon, or at GameHistory.org slash donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.